Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of our Talking with Apes podcast. Today we are gonna take a deep dive into European international relations. So in the last month there have been a number of uh, very important Uh, events concerning international politics. There was a G7 meeting from the 11th to the 13th of June in Cornwall, UK. There was a NATO summit on June 14th in Brussels. And there was a US-Russia summit on June 16th in Geneva, Switzerland. And we'll go through all of these events and discuss what happened uh, because, you know, the press, the media have been uh talking about things like is there a new cold war coming like are there signs blah 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 there's there's a lot of talk about what happened at these meetings and we just wanted to uh talk to you about it talk to each other about it and clarify some things we did a bit of research and uh it's it's all very complicated but i'm sure we'll manage <laughs> so tom why don't you start <laughs> <laughs> he says because some did a little bit more research than others but yes how dare you <laughs> we still do appreciate your google sheets thank you that was a new invention for this episode yes. in the future um, we are getting much better at this podcasting thing Improvements. Improvements, indeed. True professionals. Um, yeah, let's start with the UK. Um, and the um, I don't know if the, if, if the name has been used in other countries over the EU, but um, as it is described mostly in the British pr uh, press as the sausage war. <laughs> yes, the Love the seriousness yes, in international it, politics. It's just one of those things that... Uh, it's, it's very UK, you know, mm -hmm. like to also go for sausages... But uh, we are talking about... <laughs> that is your opinion. <laughs> it's very UK to it's, go it's, to sausage. <laughs> it's very UK to... Like, that, that's the stuff that they are... It, it's the, it's, so, will you, want, <laughs> do you want to explain why is it called the sausage wars? Okay, so... Um, backtrack a little bit. The whole Brexit affair, which yes. is basically what this is lingering on. The whole Brexit affair, one of the key issues was the where do we draw the border between the UK and the EU? Um, the e there are three options. One is we draw it between the islands of Ireland uh, and Great Britain and the mainland of Europe. Of course, the European Union doesn't want that and Ireland doesn't want that. We can draw it in Ireland where the UK meets Ireland and the EU, but the Irish don't want that as, you know, the Good Friday agreements need to be kept alive. And then the third option is to put it in the Irish Sea, a.k.a. between the island of Ireland and uh, the United Kingdom, or Great Britain, uh, more specifically. Um, God, that's a lot of Ireland and islands, I've uh, said. Um, I feel like this is very confusing if you don't have a visual that yes. shows you how the map exactly I looks. I think the better way to put it is like not about the geographic borders, more like, who's gonna get fucked? Okay, if, so if, the if UK got fucked the UK because gets fucked. the border is within their country at exactly. the moment um, well right now Ireland is part of the UK but Northern Ireland Northern is. Ireland I mean but uh, but the border is between mm, but there is gonna be like new elections in Northern Ireland and they are soon, there is yes. talks of wanting to separate from the United Kingdom as they still haven't opt out on that one yes yes um, but the sausage war term so the term sausage war the, after the Brexit negotiations with the EU they chose to draw the borders inside of uh, the island. So 
the, the EU inside got, the sea, yes. Inside the sea. The EU quote unquote wins. The Irish get to keep their what they wanted to do, and the UK gets fucked, but they wanted to push things through. They get their uh, precious uh, sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So the you idea know. was to give them a grace period of yes. until March. As last. you do when you break up with an ex, it takes some time for everyone to, yes. you know, move their, shit, their, their, their shit stuff together. out of each other's house and for everyone to, you know, discover a way on how to interact with each other in the future. Um, who are your friends? Who are my friends? And yeah. who, 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 how who to divide everything? How exactly. to set up the paperwork? As in a divorce. Yes. How to treat a poor Irish child? Yes. <laughs> kind of. Um, who gets custody of the Irish? <laughs> There's a great sketch on that yes. one by uh, Foil Arms and Hog. It's amazing. Um, and there was a there was a grace period for. Um, Companies do not have to fill in all the paperwork they normally would have to do, as you know, any other third country dealing Anybody with the EU. Anybody who does would. trading outside of the UK, the, the UK with the EU, because uh, it it wasn't just for the companies, also for the UK itself to yes. set up these new paperwork. Because before it was just it, it was borders as in EU, and it was very convenient for everybody. But right now it isn't, and we gave the UK not we like the EU gave the UK that uh, grace period until March. But what happened is that in March, the UK decided to unilaterally just fuck this. We are not, we are, we're not doing the March thing. We are gonna extend this grace period. And yes, yeah, till 2022 at first hand, <laughs> which, you know, if, if you're deciding on, well, you're going to move out soon, right? Like by next month. And then the person was like, no, I'm going to stay in your apartment still for like the next two years still. Uh, yeah. unilaterally. That's uh, kind of a dick move. The EU obviously didn't like that, so what they did was... They sued the UK. Yes, but where did they sue them, actually? Like, if somebody isn't, like... Is it like there is an international court that handles these issues? Well, there there is, ironically enough, there is an entire system within the, within the withdrawal agreement um, and the other paperwork they signed when they left. Um... So it's a bit confusing as to why they wouldn't use that, uh, which also gave the UK an option to, you know, say, shit, we're, we're, we're out of our depths here, or uh, we need help. So there was, um, a, when they were talking about Brexit, there was something in place in order... There is a, there is a mechanism, there is basically a break they could have pulled to, to say, we're not ready yet. Hmm. Um, but they didn't, let's extend it. No, they just decided to do it on their own. Um... <laughs> You know, Boris Johnson's government is that. You know, nice. like I, I just want to see you know, a, a meme of that dog that is. This is fine, you know, where, where <laughs> yeah. the whole world is burning around them, and that's just Boris Johnson until the last moment, and then it's like, well, the deadline is here, and we're not gonna pull the brakes, so we're just gonna extend the grace period. So the EU is suing, mm -hmm. and the UK's response is that, well, you can't sue us because we are in a force majeure situation. Which is bullshit. Yeah, that doesn't to be honest, apply here. that doesn't apply because a force majeure is something that is unforeseeable, that is preventable, and obviously this is not the case here because these deadlines have been put into place, so they are foreseeable and they are, they were preventable. So right now the situation is that the UK and the EU have are gonna have some problem with um, the goods traveling between the two borders. 
And that's what we're thinking right now. And that's where the sausage wars come from, because of the tariff that will be imposed on processed meats coming from the UK. Right? Yeah, so the UK basically lost uh, the... Like the EU, the EU sued and the UK lost. Well, no, 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 no it yet. takes ah, like okay. 18 months for that entire conflict to be resolved. But what happened was... Um, so they decided to sit together, you know, uh, the vice president of the European Commission sat together with, um, I believe it's the minister for Brexit or something. Uh, yeah, they have the something like that, yeah. Um, I only remember his name was Lord Frost, which <laughs> in itself is clearly a, the name of a villain. Um, but or someone who sells frozen sausages. Oh, oh God. Lord Frost. <laughs> We shouldn't be laughing with the UK, but come on, guys, <laughs> making it very easy. Um, they sat together, they tried to talk it out, three and a half hours on end. It didn't work out. Both sides uh, were extremely disappointed. <laughs> they were impatient with each other. Well, the EU offered them an, an extension, but then, of course, the UK in the period in between would have to apply to all the standards. I mean, what the was EU. the UK... I'm sorry, this is a sideline, but what was the UK thinking? That they could just leave the EU but maintain all the benefits the EU well, gave them? Like, Honestly, yes. yes. That's that's what they were thinking. And to <laughs> be honest, the, the EU has not taken any action yet. As in, like, an action that would hurt the trade in the UK. So, for now, no, they, have, they are getting away with it. For now. Weirdly enough, then they did agree to a longer grace period in which they again will have to comply with all kinds of EU regulations and standards again. So there is that strong sovereignty uh, of the UK <laughs> again. Um, it, and the entire situation is a bit weird because there's two options, basically, as, as the great people from TLDR News uh, pointed out. Either the UK is going to relax over their obsession with sovereignty post-Brexit, or the European Union is going to relax its um, obsession over its single market integrity. Now, we cannot place our bets as to who is going to cave in that. I don't know if either is going to cave, but I have a feeling it's not going to be the European bureaucracy. The European bureaucracy is put into place to be a bureaucracy. It was conceived as a bureaucracy. It exists to be a bureaucracy. That's the whole idea, that we keep a kind of system that is the same. And uh, we need all of these checks and balances. We need the same paperwork to be the same against all of the borders. And if the UK wants to trade with us as a foreign country, well, we don't accept a trade without the proper paperwork. Like, what did you expect? And what is the UK going to do? Stop trading with the EU? What, what is the, how, who would they trade with? Well, it wouldn't be necessarily stopping trade as much as they would have um, a lot of tariffs on them. Basically, it would become extremely expensive because they're still we're still in a situation where we're trying to figure out how we're going to relate owners, to each Business other. owners in the UK wouldn't like that, so they no, would have a political not. push, and it would cause a lot of problems. And so vice versa. I, I think, like, if it's a war of um, who gets to wait more, who can wait more, I think the EU can wait much more than the UK, but at the same time, we don't, like, the UK have been taking some decisions that are not in the UK's best interest, so we'll see. But uh, hopefully, I mean, does, do anybody of you, like, eat UK sausages regularly? Uh, we are so. vegetarian. All right, you know. you're both vegetarian. 
Yes. So <laughs> I personally don't eat uh, UK sausages. I eat Italian sausages. So um, cool. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not going to be losing anything by not being able to import UK sausages. Well, it, it probably would hurt the economy in general if these two... Because the vice president of the commission has said that if the UK continues this unilateral approach to dealing with things, um, all options are on the table. He yes. Said. Going from uh, tariffs uh, specifically um, to um, you know uh, legal arbitration under the withdrawal agreement, as they have already done for the first unilateral action, um, and ending cooperation in other key areas. Yes, um, there are many more areas other than trade that are still collaboration between the UK and the EU and the EU can just pull out. But uh, do you think that, like, what do you think? Is the EU pushing their hand too much here? Is it a bit too forceful or is are they not being forceful enough? Because you hear the news and you hear the opinions of the people and some people are like, why isn't the EU just more forceful? Why are they even caving to the UK? The, I don't know why they would be caving or if they would be caving. Um, I think it's in everyone's interest that the, that an agreement gets yes, obviously. reached. Um, especially because of the Irish situation, uh, if we can call it that way. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're not winning any Irish fans. Like we're probably not using the best ling- language that well, we're supposed to be situation is kind of... Um, a contentious one. Uh, like, sh- like maybe like just referring to it as the tension. Irish situation is wrong because it's the Northern Ireland situation. Oh, it's also the <laughs> Irish situation. Fair enough. <laughs> it's very much Northern Ireland and the Ireland. Republic of Ireland. Uh, it's just a mess. Can we agree on that? Yes. But yes. Uh, but um, for um, there are there's even uh, journalists that are now questioning whether or not it was the UK's intention to ever leave this way or and to fully get out of it or if they're just trying to stall this forever. I mean they've had options to like they've had multiple options through the way to put an end to this and they were like like they like it, it was I remember being talked on the U- in the UK that let's have another referendum about Brexit and the British government didn't want to do that because they knew that most popul- most of the population was like no this is this is, this is shite. I don't want this. So, and we all knew that if the the, the the negotiations about Brexit reached that kind of agreement, no agreement, like they, we've talked about Brexit for so long. Like, I don't think there is any doubt of should we have given them more time? They knew exactly what they were giving into. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think there is any misintentions here. If they want to pull the brakes, Get back to the negotiation table. Don't when you sign a contract with somebody, you don't get to decide the terms on your own without even consulting with the other party. I mean, I think a big problem with this is that the people were promised something. Uh, the people were promised that, for example, when it, also when it comes to meat, when it comes to fishing regulations as well, that they would not have to comply to European rules anymore. And now that they are noticing that, of course, that doesn't work, the people get angry. The UK is trying to just maybe 
maybe it's also just a way of dragging it out so people don't care anymore. Like if you drag it out long enough, Could people, be a potential tactic, yes. you know, like because you did promise them something like Boris Johnson did promise them something and he can't deliver that, um, obviously. Uh, and as Keenan pointed out, there uh, next year, 20, in 2022, are the uh, local assembly, so the devolved assembly, the, the local parliament, in air quotes, uh, of the Northern Irish uh, part of the United Kingdom, is happening. And the risks exist that, especially some of the unionist parties, are going to turn that into a de facto referendum on... Yeah, on uh, on the entire Northern Irish protocols, and I don't think any anybody would like the U it wouldn't be in the UK's best interest. Like, if you're thinking of it as in, well, the UK and the Northern Ireland can just be two separate countries. Well, the UK then it's not the UK anymore. Literally, it's literally not the UK anymore. It's not the United Kingdom. So yeah, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit weird, but um, I think what what's 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 always like been a bit disappointing to me is that this whole Brexit mess have been fueled by stupidity and lying to people. I think like if we go back to the Brexit campaign and remember how it was advertised to the British people, mm -hmm. it was it was it was brutally wrong, it was misleading, it was shifting the blame to all the problems they had on migrants, on the EU's migration policy. And it's not like as the UK has had a lot of migrants or refugees. The whole refugee crisis that happened in the Europe, in Europe uh, five years ago, the UK did not, were not, was not a big part of that. It was one of the countries that took the least refugees. But like, what's the significant, because you know, we're talking about these events that happened this month, what's the significance of the G7 leaders criticizing Britain's approach to the Brexit? Yeah, so aside from the fact that um, foreign uh, the the new site foreign news uh, the concludes that this is basically going to give everyone in Brussels a headache for the coming years, and that we're going to have a confusing relationship with the United Kingdom in in times to come. Um, this seeped, of course, into the G7 summit, which happened in Cornwall. Um, Johnson hoped uh, to present the United Kingdom as this global power now sovereign. Uh, but instead was met by um, some difficult uh, attitudes from countries like Germany and France uh, and from uh, and, and from comments uh, by Ursula von der Leyen, uh, Commissioner of the of the European von der uh, Union. Yeah. Von der, I'm sorry, you're the German here. You know how to pronounce it correctly. Um, yeah, uh, there was even a, a, a fallout uh, with Macron over the sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Okay. So, like, let's let's move on from the sausage war. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's leave this oh sausage God. party behind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and let's go to the relationships with Russia and um, uh, the the NATO uh, summit. Uh, the uh, the U.S. The, Russia, the G7 and the NATO summit. Yes, uh, that came uh, afterwards. Yes, what what the NATO discussed recently about uh, redefining their not redefining just um, what was it? They they basically what they did that so the Na the NATO members met and they were like, you know, 
we haven't uh, had an enemy in a while. We are now classifying China as what? What was the words they used? A systemic rival. A systemic rival. Yes. A serious systemic rival. And this, uh, this kind of a new classification that that hasn't happened in the NATO history in a while, like in a very long while. No, yeah, indeed. Like since World War Two or something, or like yeah, since the Soviet Union was yeah. the rival. Yes. Uh, so now world. China is officially a systemic threat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's something that uh, NATO did recently, and um, they also. As usual, like they, they were like, we keep our values, we keep uh, that NATO is about the values of the member states, and okay, fine, you know, like, but the, the, the big one is the Chinese. Uh, and the continued uh, issue they seem to have with Russia. Yes. Um, which was also classified as a systemic rival, I guess. Yes. Russia is a systemic rival. Um, you know, and, and looking at, at the what they're talking about, it is basically. The same stuff over and over again. Russia is being aggressive. China is being aggressive. You know, they do military exercises near the border. Uh, the whole deal with Ukraine. Um, but as opposed to, you know, in a, in a callback to last week's episode, where the World Health Organization had a very self-critical report where they were like, we didn't do enough, blah, blah. The NATO report has no self-reflection whatsoever because it, it doesn't question its own status on democracy or rule of law or what it does in that might be provocative. In, in relation to the world, it, it seems like NATO and the US uh, approach to international politics is our way is the right way. And if somebody isn't going to conform to that, they are a systemic rival. Yes. So it's it's interesting, but uh, it's 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 kind of like it it's it's obviously a balance of well, somebody should like uh, stand up to the Russian influence reaching Ukraine or reaching its neighboring countries. And for example, Russia has been uh, seen sending soldiers to the borders uh, at the Ukraine, and everybody's like, okay, so is this signifying anything? Yeah, and that is this. I'm I'm not a fan of uh, Russia or China in this matter. Um, but th we have to keep in mind the the actual power balance, and that is that the U.S. military alone—that's the U.S. That's one member of NATO, the biggest military the biggest power on the planet—has a military equivalent to and a military expenditure uh, equivalent to that of the. 10 next countries in line that includes China and Russia. Yes. So there's certainly, yeah, what Russia does is uh, disturbing. Um, but on the one hand, we get presented an image of Russia as this big danger. Obviously. But comparatively to the NATO, they don't mean that I much I agree, anymore. and especially if we're talking war and we're talking weaponry and uh, self-arming, NATO is... It's just, it, it looks at itself as it's not part of the world. They talk about yes. Russia getting weapons. They talk about Russia having influence. But no, nobody talks about NATO having influence. Not NATO, at least. Like, one of the points you had in your research was, like, that the questions asked by the journalists at the NATO summit were, were just, were not real questions. It's, they were not critical astonishing questions. astonishing that they never question who is NATO and who are the G7. And I'm wondering, is that like a policy push. that NATO only allows a certain kind of media to... Not that we're aware of the... 
for as far as we know, journalists, uh, and, and even if they don't get welcomed into the, the conference or something to ask questions, you know, they can still write critically about it, but there is a, there is a very seemingly just, just a lack of willingness to, to consider these things. Um, mind you, the G7 is responsible for uh, the G7 specifically is 11% of the world's population. Uh, but of course, it's a, a, a way larger, like more than half of the world's uh, GDP. Um, and then you have China that is basically... China is more than 11% on its own. It's like India is too. Yeah. So It's insane that uh, we look at... Sometimes it seems like NATO looks at itself without any sort of self-reflection. But let's say that these threats are quote-unquote threats, like from Russia or... Like, for example, if we have uh, another World War II situation where there is this crazy maniac called Hitler who is mm-hmm. doing some weird shit, do you think NATO is the correct body to be... Respo- or to be? It seems like they are the only body responding to these things. But to what are they responding at the well, moment? Responding to the aggressiveness of Russia. <laughs> but they themselves are pretty aggressive. And that's the point. And they're... It isn't that weird. We constantly get fed this thing. And of course, we feel nervous about it. And the Baltic states and Ukraine feel nervous about it. And they have all the rights to feel nervous about it. They're completely oh yeah, in their right. If I was living in Ukraine, I would be very nervous about Russia. But, but mind you, Ukraine, first of all, isn't a member of NATO. No. They, there doesn't seem to be a clear decision on that subject yet from uh, either side. Um, and I think Ukraine is kind of a victim of... Yeah, they're kind of a the in-between situation. They're kind of the buffer zone, and they're getting the treatment of the buffer zone because yeah. of that. Um, both sides are like pushing on them, um, but mind you, all these military exercises are not weird in any sense. No, That's no. how a military operates. They like they send out an airplane near the border, and then they check and see like, okay, where does the uh, airplane of the on- opponent where does it uh, leave from? Scouting. How long does it take for them to to arrive? Yeah, and t- this way they constantly update their military plans, uh, which is, by the way, the same thing or even less aggressive than mm-hmm. what the U.S. does. Or where the U.S. Aggressive. put um, puts literally a, 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 a U.S. military base in front of your border, looking at you twenty four seven. Or it's, its entire international fleet. If we're yes. talking about China, oh, they yeah. put the entire Obama put the entire international fleet of the U.S. near the near literally near the Chinese border. The Russia doesn't fly up to the east coast or west coast of of the United States to do its exercises. Sure, it fucks with us in Europe, uh, you know, and it and it pushes uh, against us. Um, to in yes, it does that to show its its balls. Basically, it, it's think- pulling out its penis. But it's kind <laughs> of the thing militaries do. Yeah, but I mean, like because you've talked a lot about uh, the approach NATO has to the threat of. China and Russia, and I do think there is a threat, and it's important yes. to acknowledge it. But I'm not sure how it is defined. Like, if if a country gets defined as a threat, like as a rival, like systemic rival, what does it mean? Because I'm not sure systemic rival is the right word. Because a rival is someone you want to be better than, and I don't think it's really something we should aim for to be better than they are in, when it comes to international politics. Like, you know, like we don't want to win. We want them to 
aim for peace instead of aiming for expansion. Mm-hmm. Like also the fact that China is buying up large parts of Africa, etc. I think yes, we should respond to that in some ex- to some extent, and we should say that that is not okay. But I, I don't I don't like the the name of systemic rival, and I do think names are important in these kinds of. They definitely things. are. It but sounds it seems very like, like red scary, you know. Yeah, the NATO were just like we needed like, but what 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 what's the better name? You know, like they. I think what they were trying to say, well, it's not an ally. We're not classifying them as an ally. Even though there are like shared projects, the whole 5G towers thing, even the African influence, uh, even the Chinese influence China has in Africa have been kind of blessed by the EU. They have shared projects there. Yeah, and like I think that's that's what they should stop doing, and they should maybe stop doing that by letting NATO or whatever issue a general statement that if they continue this, that they will no longer be able to well, the work thing is, together with them. The thing with the Africa and like the five G towers and everything is kind of it's it, it's it's not it shouldn't be NATO's uh, place because NATO feels if, like. It's a military power. It's kind of a... a military alliance. It's a military alliance. That's it. It shouldn't be forcing hands when it comes to international deals or international policy. NATO well, is... Should or shouldn't is, I think, a bit irrelevant. NATO... It's the same as the G7. The G7 is an informal meeting. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. ha- it's not like the United Nations, which has a charter and a treaty um, and bureaucratic procedures to do that. Ex- the G7 is exactly created to get around the United Nations because some world leaders wanted to have a forum where they could, quote-unquote, speak frankly about issues. Uh, Mainly, the big economic powers wanted a place where they could do the actual negotiation based on power and not on procedures. It's going to happen anyway. But, you know, NATO is there, so if one of their member states gets attacked, they have a big military force to counter that. And in this situation, I think it's it's quite normal that, for example, Europe would say, hey, I'm sorry, but this is scary. Like the influence that Russia is gaining, them trying to expand, China trying to expand from the other side, from Africa up, mm-hmm. like that is a problem for us and we need to address this. But why do you address it as in saying, hey, these are like sort of rivals, uh, which is a very, it, it sounds very violent and it, like it sounds way less economic and way less. Because it is. Um, it, it, it doesn't sound contemporary either. It doesn't work. It, it sounds very Cold War-y and like it has been described like that in the media too, but it's not a Cold War. It's much more about economic influence. It's about... Yeah. Yeah, it's about taking over these these countries to gain economic influence. It's mm-hmm. about money. It's about maybe even if we're thinking climate change, for China at least, having some ground in Africa would help them reduce carbon emissions because they can buy uh, carbon rights from like emission rights uh, from Africa as well because Africa mm-hmm. is selling their emission rights to some extent. Etc. Etc. Uh, which brings us to climate colonialism. So, like, there's a lot of modern issues that are not being addressed at all. But what they are addressing is like, oh no, these are like big scary, like, yeah, big communist. scary enemy. <laughs> yeah, and it's mostly the the and there's the weird 
thing with the with the relationship with China specifically, that's the US's interest, clearly. Yes. And the EU is feeling a bit uncomfortable with going along in that process, it seems. Uh, the EU had this entire negotiation with an investment deal uh, in order to get equal access uh, to the uh, Chinese uh, economy, uh, the same way uh, that the US currently has. Um, that deal was then stalled, so it is not going very smoothly. Um, and Italy pulled out of the Roads and Belts Initiative, for example. But there definitely is a sentiment within the EU that you know, isn't is completely opposed without, to China. Within NATO, you, the US as a member state, I think it's fair to say that there is a bit, uh, it's not very balanced. The US no, of is course not. The US is the world power at the moment. Yes, the world power on like earth. It's, when we're talking NATO, it seems like sometimes we're talking the US. Like they share the exact same policies and they share the exact same views. And maybe that's not always in the best interest of the European nations within NATO. Yeah. And definitely since Trump, we have seen the EU um, move slightly into its own uh, course uh, yes. or slightly considering that maybe those two aren't always perfectly aligned as for example the US interest in China um, that might not be in in the in the EU's interest I definitely to, to agree. even even with the Russia I think the EU and the Russian relationships can and should be talked about without the influence of the U.S. and what's the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. Mm -hmm. it sh they should be separate things. The NATO should... I, I personally think NATO should be there as a last resort of, okay, we need military power now. Mm -hmm. So international relationships and diplomacy should be kept to the member states and maybe we should have a European body that does that instead of fucking NATO. But of course, in today's day and age, Europe and America are never gonna actively want to go to war because it would be an economic disaster and they have a very comfortable position where that makes no sense. So the only way they would use NATO is on extra... They used it on Libya. That's their exactly. uh, most like, recent uh, They would failure. use it outside of, outside of yeah, Europe. Like, outside if if of we're being Europe. like frank, NATO itself, like if that might be considered radical. I don't think it should even exist. But um, I don't know. I'm very comfortable with having a big alliance of the more... Yes, but... Slightly... Uh, if we're, if of, we're, the, of the bourgeois democracies. <laughs> sure. But, you know, like, all I'm saying is this, this race of weaponry of like, we're, we're, yeah, we're, no. we're weaponizing, you're weaponizing, we're weaponizing, you're weaponizing. That's how you get like the prime situation for a Cold War. And because, Morgan, you mentioned like it's not economically viable, but that's not completely true. Over the past years, we have seen massive investments in military apparatuses on the one hand but from the states themselves yeah. uh, like the pentagon's budget keeps going up etc um just think of the since 911 period uh, since 911 period uh, but second of all we have seen a massive increase in the private uh, defense sector of the economy like private capital owns a lot of interest in these things actually to give one example of something everyone laughed about uh, Trump's Space Force was behind closed doors, lobbied by ex-government officials uh, in with close ties with the aviation industry in order to sell more military uh, satellite uh, gear and technology, etc. 
to There's the US. There's also, for example, the military drones. That's a whole industry that is happening, and people want to sell that tech. And but what I was talking about is we we don't want to fight on European or American ground. Yeah. You know, because no, that exactly. would be an economical disaster. So, because he said we that... We wouldn't want to, but... It should be capital a last resort as defense, yes. Capital, and, and if I can say the ruling class, um, to show my colors, uh, <laughs> is international. It doesn't have... A, a, it doesn't really care about states or local things anymore, which is exactly one of the problems uh, in, a, in an attempt to gain capital and investment. Local... Uh, elites uh, nowadays uh, lo try to lower their social standards and everything, and then they get into trouble because of because they do that because the state loses its legitimacy. Yes. I'm, I'm, I just feel like you didn't really understand what I meant. So okay. you know, Keenan said that NATO should just be a last resort that you use, and other than that, it shouldn't be involved in European yes. politics, and we should do our international relationships with Russia and China separate from that. But I feel like we only use NATO when it comes to international politics. We don't use them to fight on our ground. Like we, we're True, not getting yes. actively attacked by Russia and we will do everything to stop that from ever happening again. So that's not enough of a reason to keep NATO around. I feel ah, like okay, the yeah, reason yeah, we see. still have NATO is because it's, we're using it on international ground. And I'm not saying that's like necessarily, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying like the reality of it is that we use it that way and we might need some sort of like if we want to have that relationship with america where we can call our big military brother in in times of need if that ever will happen i i'm afraid we can't just go ahead and make our own trade deals with russia and china separate completely separate from the us because that mm -hmm. would also be screwing them over and they're still paying more into the yeah. military funds, you know? And, and they, they have been shown to be not happy with that. The uh, yes. North uh, Sea Pipeline, the North, uh, what is it called? The pipeline between Germany and uh, Russia. Russia. The gas oh, yeah. was pipeline. one example of the US oh, yeah, clearly pointing out that. they do not I, like that. I am not laughing. I am not in love with that. I will tell you. Yes. But uh, that pipeline is very interesting, actually. The uh, it's it's operational now, I think. Yes. It's uh, it. What, what the concerns from the US are like? Let's just, to put everybody in the picture. They are concerned that uh, Russia will be able to abuse this. That they get to bypass the Ukraine. They get to bypass all of these uh, mm. countries, and they would have uh, leverage on a big Western country that is Germany. Um, what do you think? Do you think these fears are founded? I think we should fucking abolish oil and gas in general. Exactly. So I am <laughs> yeah. not a fan of this pipeline because I think it's uh, it's a manifestation of something that should be long gone. And it's something that we put a lot of money in and then we need to put even more money into getting rid of it again. So like... I, I just don't exactly. Like it. The okay. question is false. The question is is well, kind of false. Is but but that's considering because you're thinking of the technology itself because the oil. But you think of it in international relationships wise. Forget that it's oil or gas mm. or fossil fuel. Yeah, but Russia is not going to like us being fuel independent, and neither will the U.S. like us being fuel independent as as the European continent or yeah. as any place in the world because there is so much 
in, there are so many interests involved with that. So, but should yeah. we still go that road? Definitely. Um, I mean, as uh, the sooner we are independent uh, when it comes to electricity and, I mean, you know, like power alternative sources. power, indeed. As the sooner we are independent when it comes to power, the sooner we can just say fuck you to Saudi Arabia, to Russia, to all of these powers, and you know. But why didn't like why would Germany go for that deal? Do do they? I don't know the situation in Germany. Do they need it? Aren't they producing enough power locally that they need this gas? Pipe? It's not just for power. It's uh, it's also gas is a is a resource used in, for example, the petrochemical uh, sure. industry and in other industries. Um, it's more than just a fuel source. Um, I get it. And well, yes, gas is mostly used in the energy transition that a lot of countries have put forward, where they replace, for example, nu nuclear power plants with gas plants who are more flexible and can link with flexible renewable energy. That is a whole discussion whether or not that's a that's smart idea on, yeah. its, on itself, but it is a thing that is uh, in, a, in a lot of countries' uh, yeah. plans. And we're we're nearing the end of the podcast and like we haven't really talked about the uh, Russia US summit yet uh, that happened in Geneva but mm -hmm. um I don't know is there something you would really want to uh, touch upon regarding that one thing I would like to say about that is um echoing uh, Masha Greens uh, yeah. who is a political uh, journalist and writer from Russia uh, who is exiled um um, and that is when she points out is, yes, there was a summit and Putin really enjoyed the summit. Um, <laughs> because for Putin, this is, the, having the summit is a thing into itself. It's, an, it's a goal achieved. That was his goal. That is good. Because Putin wants to project the idea and wants to have the idea that you can't have international policy without checking in with Russia. Like... Russia is a power, a relevant power, and you should consider our position. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's kind of like, imagine if Biden was like, I need to meet with Erdogan. Erdogan would fucking love that because yes. it means recognizing Turkey. But like, I, I think we're way past that when it comes to Russia. Russia is a big power that should be consulted when it comes to international policy. Yes, but let's again point in, put into perspective, if the US really wanted, it could really fuck over everyone on this planet still. The U.S. is the world power still. But it's still not in their best interest, and is it? No, it, it, it's in nobody's best interest to have conflicts. Uh, things tend to go well if you make them go smoother, um, if, if you take it uh, in, a, in a more relaxed approach. But the problem, uh, she points out, is Biden goes to that summit with like identifying common uh, areas of interest and trying to get a, a, a quid pro quo out of it or you know he's trying to Biden is trying to get something out of it um, Putin is not Putin is not negotiating in good faith Putin is not interested in getting common areas of interest or establishing red lines that cannot be crossed Putin was interested in getting recognized yeah and, and Russia I got a picture with the president kind of <laughs> but it's more like he got a picture with me so yeah yeah I mean, um, uh, there is one thing I would like to like uh, touch upon there is this like we've been talking about this international like uh, relationships when it comes to diplomacy or it comes to economy power sources war military but what do you think of when people say, shouldn't we be concerned when it comes, for example, to China's uh, human rights problems or Russia's human mm -hmm. rights problems? Or let's not even go very far. Let's talk about Hungary and uh, 
the LGBTQ discrimination that's happening in these countries. Do you think there should be a response that is... Is there a response that is well measured and that is not going to ruin international relationships, but it's still going to give you that kind of, well, this is not okay, and we take a stand against this? Should there be? Yes, but should there be by NATO or the G7? Not really. Probably not. Um, will they? Definitely not, because they're, they don't, for all their talk about human rights, their own list of human rights abuses and, and international treaty violations is... Legion, um, if you look it up, that's why they never mention when talking about yeah, their own actions, they never refer to UN declarations or something because the UN never sanctions anything they do. Um, so should they, no, in an ideal world, yes, there is a beautiful system where everyone holds each other accountable, etc. Um, well, they, they won't do it. And I don't, I don't see what they could do which would function as long as they're not part of the european union there's very little you can do even if they're part take hungary which is a part of the union you can't do anything to hungary even um i wish the benelux countries used the same tactic as hungary did and just block the entire system and demand that hungary retracts that law you know i think there's a there's room for a little bit of real politic in that but i agree especially like hungary doesn't have that big of a like there are such a they are a netto like they receive money most yeah of exactly they're like, not like a, they're not like you're not germany China. you know they're yeah, they're exactly. not like <laughs> like if you, if germany had a fascist government right now that would be an issue for the year if germany says something then most yeah. of the time the eu moves to war to to the beat of what germany says well not hungary germany no it, but yeah, yeah it's kind of sad that we just let these countries get away with that all i'm saying is like when, if we're talking like at this about these international relationships it seems like there's always talk of human rights violation and china's bad records with human rights violations but it's always just talk and i'm just asking Is, is it actually an engine like our human rights violation and morality a, a motivator behind international relationships at all? The only place where that could be and has been, I believe to some extent, is the UN. And you would need to strengthen the UN and reform the UN to actually have the ability to... to present a counterpower. I think I we mean, all agree that the UN should be the should should be a much more powerful body than it currently is. It should have power to enforce its uh, treaties and the UN at least like if you if you look at uh, how NATO was created or how the UN was created. UN was created in a very like we need to solve solve the world's issues and to I think the quote from their uh, treaty is uh, to spare future generations the um, the ugliness of, of war. war. Yeah. Yes. So the UN is a very uh, hippie organization and I wish it had more power than it currently has. Yeah, I mean, like, a uh, uh, last thing that I wanted to touch upon is we've now talked about all of these summits and all of these conflicts happening between countries, but in the future we have some major challenges that we can't tackle alone, that we can't uh, have two years of Brexit-like discussions about. Mm. Uh, we have climate change, we have um, the problem of automatization coming along, which will, you know, fuck with the economy and Post -pandemic the current economy, capitalist which system. Which is a global problem. Indeed. Um, we have future pandemics that could arise. Um, and with the growing number of people, 
you know, pandemics are more likely to arise with also with the decline of biodiversity, etc. So how even even if it's a remote scenario, even that that scenario of a, a madman or a mad president or a mad country just that that have that threat of fascism. You know, like that's also a challenge that you want to be able to handle globally without having to worry so much about uh, mm -hmm. the intricate uh, international relationships. I think, like, let's say, I don't know, if we fucked the US over when it comes to a couple of international trades uh, laws with uh, China, and then we have another Hitler, and the US is like, we're not going to help because you signed a treaty with China. I think we should definitely get over that and think of it in a less cynical way and realize that The, f the challenges the planet is facing are not gonna be limited to this fucking petty bullshit between states. Yeah. So, um, I think we'll just leave you listeners with that like question to talk about because I think it's a very interesting And question. But Maybe the, the request to, in what you're doing, if you're part of uh, some organization or some movement, to consider those things indeed, and to try and find a nuanced position in those. Not, we love China, not we love Russia, not we love the US and NATO can do anything wrong. And even the EU. Real, and, or the EU, yeah, but uh, a nuanced position where you recognize that eh, both sides are kind of shitty at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah and like post-colonial structures still exist etc etc yes. there is a lot of issues um yeah, but, but you can't vote on chinese elections you can't vote on european elections true so as a european listener at least yeah yeah definitely take your european responsibility in those elections also please um other than that just like so the question we want to leave you with is how can we bring international politics aligned is it maybe giving the un a bit more power you know like just just think about it because i feel like we focus a lot about our national politics but sometimes it's also very interesting especially if we look at big problems in the boo future nation, boo nation to states. look at more than just your own country you know look look a bit further and flag smashers What? <laughs> oh God, that is such a reference. <laughs> What is that? Yeah, the you're too old. No, I'm no, not too old. No, you're no, you're just Alzheimer's. not catched up. <laughs> no, What? no, he watched the show with me. Oh. What? <laughs> the Flag Smashers from uh, I can't. We're getting Captain in. America and the Wilter Soldier. The, and the radical our... group that was like, fuck international borders. Oh, wh uh, what they take call Fla themselves? Flag smashers. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, here, here the podcast starts on, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Maybe yes. we should have a... Let, let us Please, know in the comments Marvel if you want a Marvel us. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just want your money, Marvel. We will talk about all your shows. <laughs> I think, I think, Mar I think Marvel But is solving I want that Disney money. climate change. <laughs> Yes, we will make a show about climate change for you, Marvel. No, no, they already, they already are doing very well when it climate change. Okay, this change. is escalating. We should say bye. Okay. Bye, Marvel daddy, business daddy. Oh, God. <laughs> We're poor. <laughs> We're all very poor. Okay, bye. 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 Subscribe to the channel.